The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be able to be together as a church. And we pray that as we have come together, as we have sung truth, as we have prayed, as we have read the truth, that now as your word is preached, that it would come forth with truth, with clarity, that your word would be a great help to us in boldly proclaiming what we know to be true, that our eternity has been secured by the blood of Christ. We thank you for the treasure of the gospel. We thank you for this wonderful book of Ephesians that is ministered to us. And now, Lord, as we come to the end of it, may it do its work today in bringing us further along in the faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In so many ways, as a church, we would be able to say that circumstances have played a large role in our lives over this past year. Our lives have been impacted. Life's circumstances. COVID-19, of course, looms large and the response to it. But the media coverage, although it's been so heavily upon that, it doesn't reveal the whole truth of what's been going on here in the, the life of this body in particular. Even as Seth was leading us in prayer, we're reminded that the membership, the, the church members have been impacted through life's circumstances in significant ways. I think of the job changes that have occurred just in this church body alone in this past year. We've also had a destructive building fire that brought about a, a very real circumstance, a car accident for Karis last week. Multiple families have moved from a house situation where they were renting into home ownership. Those are substantial life circumstances. We've also had the conceiving of a child, at least one that we're aware of, and the birthing of, ch of a child in Eli. Significant life circumstances. There have been health issues, numerous health issues. Some of them have required emergency room care. Some specialty appointments requiring even surgeries and investigative procedures. And as a family of believers, when we come together, these life's circumstances are often what we discuss with one another. What, what has been going on in our lives is what comes out in our conversation. They're important to us. And I know that the ones I just mentioned is just barely scratching the surface. I wasn't intending to neglect anyone, but it's easy to say that our circumstances within the life of a church for one year are a multitude. And the church in Ephesus wouldn't have been vastly different from us. Just think, there was, was a church family, a church body, and they would have had many 
life's circumstances that would have been impressed upon them, that would have been uh, experienced by them. Now, they wouldn't have had emergency room visits or car accidents 2,000 years ago, but still substantial life circumstances, impactful. And the Apostle Paul knew them well. Remember, he had spent years with this church body. He knew them well. And there was a steady contact that was kept and maintained with them through visits when that was allowed, but then also through correspondence and through a constant flow of of emissaries where there were people sent from Paul to them and from them to Paul. I find it very telling after studying this letter, this letter that Paul wrote to this church that he knew so well that in the letter itself, it, it doesn't have a whole lot of personal correspondence. It's, it's not much devoted to what was going on in the life of Paul. And that doesn't mean there wasn't much happening in Paul's life, because there was. But instead, he was focused on the implications of knowing Christ. That was his heart's desire, was to impart to them through this letter, although we know it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but his heart's desire was for them to grow in faith and in love and in peace. Paul had major life events going on in his own life. We know he was in prison of some sort, house arrest or in a cell. But instead of anchoring on those major life circumstances in his life, he was zealous to proclaim the truth about what it means to live the Christian life. Even in the closing of the letter, which we're going to cover today, the apostle Paul is content to say that the details about his life, those will come later. They're going to be shared with the church in Ephesus by his brother in the faith, Tychicus. Paul was a prisoner in some form or fashion, but that was not of primary significance to him. He didn't feel like that was necessary to elaborate It barely makes it into the letter other than a couple of mentions in order to solidify that he was an ambassador for Christ. And from a human perspective, this is remarkable. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned, to write this letter. And it became a portion of our Holy Scriptures that we study, that we've grown from, that we've been ministered to by. And I'm... I'm not sure how many of you make a habit of writing letters regularly, that that's your normal thing. Uh, it's, it's kind of going out of style with all these other mediums of correspondence. But over the last at least five years, I've written one letter a month to my grandmother. So I write my grandmother once a month. And in writing to my grandmother... In considering this letter to the church in Ephesus, I readily admit that my letters are not inspired in the way that the letter to Ephesus was. And characteristic of my letters is usually a heavy, a heavy divulging of life's circumstances. Grandma, this is what's going on. This is what the kids are doing. This is what I've been doing. The one thing I'd say I, I share with Paul in my letter is that I share prayer requests with my grandmother. So he shares prayer requests in this closing, and I share prayer requests. But other than that, 
I'm heavily weighted towards life's circumstances and, and sharing those. And even as I say that, even as I mention it to you as a church body, I, I recognize that that's probably what I'm focused on the most, life's circumstances. And that's in a way of a confession. Like, I want to be refined. I want to be refined so that when I am writing to someone, like my grandmother, or if I take a pen and a piece of paper and I write a letter to Eric or to someone else in the congregation to encourage them, that I'd be encouraging them in the faith and not just be anchored upon life circumstances. But what did Paul want to impress upon the recipients of his letter? As I, as I look into the passage and see at the closing here what he was really focused upon, I'm challenged by a question. And so as we go through this question, I'm going to share it with you here in a moment. This is what we're, we're going to look at collectively as a church body, answering this question. Having received the mystery of the gospel, what will we do with it? For me, having received the mystery of the gospel, what will I do with it? The answer is the God's truth that we're going to look at today. And I believe that we're going to discover that truth as we go verse by verse through the end of this book in the following manner. First, we're going to look at prayer. Prayer was very significant in the life of, of Paul. And in verses 18 through 20, we're going to look at prayer. So much of Paul's focus is on prayer. And then we're going to look at provision. Provision, verses 21 and 22. Not only what we've been abundantly given, but what we are able to freely give in the way of provision. And lastly, peace, verses 23 and 24. The result of persecution, of chains, of hardship, are not the things that are undue to, to a, a faithful Christian, but rather they are the mere rubbing compound. They're the grit that's required in the life of a Christian to bring out our true nature, our polish, gloriously revealing what's been given to us which is love incorruptible. So we'll look at prayer, provision, and peace, beginning with prayer. In verse 18, verses 18 I'll just read verse 18 in its entirety here. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Over the course of the previous two Sundays, Seth has been able to, to preach from the preceding verses leading up to this point and even taking us through the middle half of this verse. And all of that was in an effort of, of looking at how we battle in the spiritual battle with what God has provided us with, with the armor of God. And ending that is this appeal, this compelling that Paul is saying, we have to be a people of prayer because we are involved in spiritual battle. Not that it's a part of the armor of God, but overall of what we do in spiritual battle is prayer. 
This is exactly where the apostle goes, the importance of prayer, praying at all times, praying in the spirit, with all prayer and with all supplication, praying. This is what Jesus said frequently as he ministered on on earth, as he talked, to to always be in prayer, John 18, 1, he says that. And it was demonstrated consistently by our Lord. He would go away and he would pray on his own. One example was in Mark 6, 46. He he went away to pray. It was such a part of his life and his ministry that what did his disciples do? They asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. They realized it it was pivotal. It was key to the way he was and the way he he functioned in their lives. In this verse that we're picking up with today for our preaching passage, in the middle it says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I know we're a little bit disconnected from last week where we left off with the armor of God, But like I said, this is right on the heels of that very important uh, section of of really battle. The battle wear as a spiritual warrior is the armor of God. And in order to put that on, we talked about it in the community group, is, is prayer. We have to be people of prayer. And this language here in this second half of verse 18 of keeping alert, of perseverance, It speaks to the warrior in me. It reminds me of warrior language, alertness and perseverance. That's what we need for spiritual battle, to be able to keep alert. And the beauty, church, of the Christian faith and of spiritual battle is that you can be a 90-year-old saint and be a spiritual giant. And you can be a 9-year-old in grammar school And you can wield the sword of a spiritual battle. You don't have to be able to squat 400 pounds and ruck a 90-pound sack up some war-torn country on a mountainside. Now, although a physical specimen like that is required for, for real battle, you know, physical battle, but spiritual battle is different. And God has impressed upon us through his word that we can put on the armor of God and that we can go to battle in prayer. It's right here before us. And one thing that we should have, though, in common with that that physical specimen I just described of the the 400-pound squat, being able to ruck the 90-pound backpack up the side of a mountain, in order to be that kind of a, a warrior takes discipline. In in order for us to be spiritual warriors, we also have to be disciplined in our walk with the Lord. To be a spiritual warrior, you need to discipline yourself in the habit of prayer. You need to discipline yourself in the habit of prayer. Always going before the Lord, growing and developing your ability to pray. And to do that, it takes time. You have to put in time and effort to grow in your ability to pray. It takes time and effort. Let me put it to you this way. When I was in the Marine Corps, I used to be able to shoot expert with the M16 battle rifle. 
the Marine Corps made sure that every basic Marine went to the rifle range one week out of the year. So we would dedicate a, a week out of the year at the rifle range. Now, I had some shooting experience going into the Marine Corps, and with that one week a year, I was able to shoot expert. Now, I've, I, I can't do that anymore. I, I doubt I could. I don't put in a, a week a year in pulling the trigger. It took time to do that. And, and just to put it into comparison, an elite warrior force spends every day pulling the trigger. And they are well honed in that ability to bring forth their, their lethality through the use of a weapon. It takes a lot of time. So if the Apostle Paul is encouraging the readers in this letter to pray at all times, to pray without ceasing, and to keep alert, these are echoed throughout other letters that Paul writes too, such as 1 Thessalonians 5, to do all of this with perseverance. We receive that and say, well, what are we doing in order to be prepared like this? How are we preparing ourselves to wage spiritual battle with all alertness, with perseverance? It takes time. It takes effort. It takes one another to sharpen each other, to encourage one another, to, to pick up and go to the range and to put in the time behind the weapon to come alongside each other and pray. Now, I mentioned marksmanship because now that I have, like I said, not spent anywhere near one week out of a year behind, behind my weapon shooting, I have to equip my rifle now with a scope and preferably a very stable place to rest my weapon before I pull the trigger and feel confident in doing so. The church, there's no such attachments for our prayer life. You can't get a high-powered scope and put it on your prayer life or a rest to put on your prayer life. You have to do what those elite warriors do. You have to put in the time. You have to practice. You have to grow in your ability to pray. So how are you doing setting up that time? the quiet and the devoted time of prayer, which is needed to develop that habit of prayer. It needs to be free and ongoing because when, not if, life gets more chaotic, you're going to have to be able to rely upon your ability to go to the Lord in prayer. Again, when, not if, life gets more chaotic, you have to be ready to turn immediately to the Lord in prayer. And of course, as we pray, we're, we just pour out our heart before the Lord. When we go to the Lord regularly in prayer, our heart is poured out to Him, and He receives that. But here, we also see that there's this requirement to make supplication, which is a humble request for all the saints. So when we think of all the saints, we talked about this at the elders' meeting. Well, what does that mean? That's, that's a big Big thing. All the saints. Does that mean all the saints throughout all time? It could mean that. Does it mean all the saints that are alive right now? Yeah, it could mean that too. But 
important to us is to pray as the Lord impresses upon you to pray. And for example, I mean, your home might have certain habits that develop this in a different way, but our friends, the Starks, they live in Florida now, but when we visited them in Arizona, we were there late enough in the evening that we were able to go through their family devotion time, their prayer time. Many of us have a, a habit like that. And they had a basket in their living room that was full of cards, little trifolds that had different missionaries. So their church, the way that it was set up, had these trifolds, and they had collected those, brought them home, put them in the basket. And then in the evening, the kids would rush over to the basket, pull out a trifold apiece, and then they'd pray for these missionaries. Not that they were supporting them financially, but they were praying for them. They were supporting them, praying for all the saints. I know recently I've been praying for James Coates, this pastor that's up in Canada that's sitting in jail right now as a faithful minister of the gospel. He, he's in jail. His family, his wife, Aaron, are having to support him. And I believe that he has had an effective ministry and that he's continuing to do so even as Paul was able to share the gospel from a jail cell, from some kind of imprisonment. I'm praying for this saint up in Canada to have a a powerful ministry likewise. Praying for all the saints. We do well to pray frequently for one another also. I mentioned the circumstances of this year, and I know as I mentioned those circumstances at the beginning of the sermon, many of those we've prayed over as a church body. And we can reflect upon now sometime removed from some of those and we can praise God for what he's done through those circumstances as devastating as they might have been at the time to go through our faith has been shined it's been polished and I know I mentioned COVID-19 which looms large but it's no secret that that has had an impact on our church family there's no secret that Not all of us are present here physically. There's no secret. But this should drive us to prayer and to be praying deeply and fervently that God would continue to sustain his church. That the enemy who would want nothing more than to pull the church apart, that his attempts would be thwarted. That we would care for one another in the ways that God has impressed upon us to show care throughout the church body. In the absence of praying for one another, Satan is bound to attack our unprotected flank. So we heed the apostle's word here to keep alert and to pray always and to persevere in prayer. And as we are looking at prayer in particular, one of the things that I'm noticing in this section of the passage is that there's a prayer for proclamation. So there's an, there is a request that the Apostle Paul is, is making in verses 19 through 20. I'll read that to you. So if you're ever running out of prayer material for other saints, you know, throughout all of the kingdom of God, or for prayer for the saints here within Pillar Bible Fellowship, you could pray for yourself in this way or ask for this type of prayer. In verse 19, we read, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly, 
to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul dearly loves the saints in Ephesus. And in writing this letter, he knows they love him. He knows that. And so he makes a request for prayer. Like I said earlier, this is my one attribute in my letters that I share with a Pauline letter is I make requests for prayer. And he requests this amazing prayer request. It's not for his well-being. It's not for his circumstances to improve. It's not for any number of things that we might normally ask for prayer for. He asks that he might proclaim the mystery of the gospel as he ought to speak. Now, he does have circumstances. We will talk about those a little bit later. But do you see how his prayer request is the exact answer to the question I asked earlier? The one that I posed at the beginning of the sermon? Having received the mystery of the gospel, what are you to do with it? That's the question. Having received the mystery of the gospel, which we've all received, what are you to do with it? Proclaim it boldly. You see, once Paul received the mystery of the gospel, it became the principal driving force in his life. Let me take a moment to state plainly what this mystery was that that changed Paul's life forever. Remember, this is the same man who was zealous for Judaism. He was advancing far beyond all who were of his age. He was very learned in the scriptures, and he was bold in his previous life. He even would drag Christians away so that they could be punished for going this deviant route of following Christ. Approving of their death, as we know, as he stood there by Stephen. So what changed him? What changed this man? What changed him? It was the realization that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was. It was revealed to him. It was given to him as a gift, the truth of the gospel. Paul received forgiveness for his sins. As hard for him to fathom that might be, he was forgiven. He was able to repent of his wrongdoing and turn and put his, his gaze, his face, his life's efforts all into sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The summoning of Paul was clearly brought about by God. He didn't ask to be changed. God grabbed a hold of him and changed him. And once God did that, Paul's whole life changed. Everything about him changed. He had previously done all that he had done with the approval of the religious authorities, with, with the, those who were set up in authority over him. He was doing as they instructed, as they encouraged. But when the Lord got a hold of him and changed him, he could no longer go along with what was being told for him to do by the religious authorities. 
You see, they had deviated away from the truth of Scripture. Although it was very clear in the law and in the prophets and in the writings that there was going to be a fulfillment, that there was going to be a Messiah, they missed it. Jesus came, and he was the fulfillment of all those writings, everything that was said in the prophets and written in the law. Jesus fulfilled it all. And once it was revealed to Paul that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, he had to proclaim that gospel. He couldn't let go of that. And now he's asking for the church in Ephesus to pray for him, to be bold, to proclaim that truth which set him free. Paul's mentioned this mystery previously in the book of Ephesians, back in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 3, 1 through 10, I'm going to read to you. You can turn over there if you want, just a couple pages back. What Paul wrote earlier in the letter, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in, their, in the other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets, and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, this is Paul writing, remember, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? This mystery was captivating to Paul that there was salvation and that it was for all peoples, just as was prom promised to Abraham, that Abraham would be a blessing to all nations. And in the fulfillment of Christ, that promise came true. Paul understood it, and he wanted to share it. And it's this treasure, this mystery of the gospel. And what does he want now that it's been revealed to him? To have his mouth opened. Paul wants his mouth opened for words to be given to boldly proclaim it. This is what Paul wants. Church, this is what we should be clamoring for as well. To make the mystery of the gospel known, speaking the truth as it has been revealed in the scriptures. To speak boldly. 
But what stands in our way? What stands in our way of actually doing this? Why isn't this our number one pursuit? To speak the truth of the gospel boldly. Paul was in some form or fashion, as he's writing this letter, a prisoner. And this is his goal. This is his aim. He doesn't ask for prayer for his release. Maybe that's a message he entrusted to Tychicus to bring to them, saying, well, you could also pray for this. That's not in the scriptures, though. Written in ink, on paper, his desire is for those who read the letter to pray for him to proclaim the gospel. That's his desire. Church, I ask that you would pray that for me, that that would be my desire more fully. And in turn, church, I'll pray that same prayer for you, that you would want to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, the truth of who Christ is more boldly, that you would open your mouths. I know I have been entrusted with this mystery. Paul was entrusted with this mystery, and he wanted it proclaimed boldly. It should be our fervent desire to see more people brought into the kingdom of God through the sharing of the gospel. It's a treasure. It's been given to us, and it's worth sharing. We will never run out of it. It will never run dry. It's been given to us so that it can be shared with others. Now, I said I would return back and touch upon the circumstances that were surrounding Paul. And there's no doubt about it that he was persecuted. Paul was in chains. In some form or fashion, he was restricted in his ability to move because he was a faithful minister of the gospel. His faithfulness to the gospel was rewarded by the authorities of man with confinement. He was stripped of his freedom of movement. He refers to himself here in verse 20 as an ambassador in chains. It takes a little while to to think about this, but I've had time to study this, this passage. But an ambassador, an ambassador, even in, in Paul's age, would have been an honored position. To be an appointed an ambassador comes with the, the weight of the country or the, the sovereign that's sending you to be that ambassador in another place. Paul, an ambassador for Christ, from the heavenly kingdom, sent by the King of kings and the Lord of lords to be an ambassador. And what is he adorned with? Chains. 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 What do our diplomats have when we send someone from the United States to another country or we receive a diplomat or an ambassador from another country here? They have what's called diplomatic immunity. To be locked up by another nation while you are acting as a diplomat is something that we don't do in this current age. Yet Paul, he receives those chains, and he says, no big deal. I'm an ambassador for Christ. No chain will keep me back from from carrying out my duty of sharing the truth 
And I ask, he's saying, I ask you to, to pray for me. An ambassador for Christ. Paul is his ambassador. So ironic that he mentions these chains. What can the chains of man do to hold back the freedom granted through the gospel? What can the chains of man do to hold back the freedom we have from our sins granted through the gospel? Do you understand the answer? Nothing. The chains of man can do nothing. We have been freed from our sins by the blood of Christ. No chains draped upon you, whether there are thousands of pounds of chains put upon you, cannot bind you once again to sin that you've been freed from by Christ. You see, Paul is suffering. He has circumstances that we would say he was suffering from. But he recognizes the vast difference between his eternal state as saved by Christ versus the, the minuscule suffering that he has in the current time in a, in a jail cell or chained to a Roman centurion or put under guard. But he sees this, and it's temporal. It's temporal suffering. He weighs what he's going through and says, it's, it's of nothing compared to what I really want to do, and that is proclaim the truth of the gospel. I love it that if you, if you picture this of Paul being there, somehow in confinement, either house arrest or actually in a jail cell, he's freer. He is freer there as saved by Christ than the vast majority of the known world. And church, that's like us. We are freer than the vast majority of the world because we've been freed from sin through Christ. And we are to proclaim that truth, and we are to declare it boldly. Powerful and bold witnessing is what Paul wants prayer for. But there is more to the man that is very endearing to the recipients of the letter. He knows that. He knows them well enough that they're going to want more than what he's given them. He's not oblivious to this. In our, in our common uh, language of today, we call it emotional intelligence. Paul was connected, even though he was hundreds of miles away from the Ephesian church. He was connected to them. He knew that they wanted more. And he was willing to provide that for them, providing for the saints in another way. And so we're going to turn to that right now, this provision, provision that Paul gives in verses 21 and 22. This is what these two verses say. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul is wanting to provide for his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. He wants to provide for them. He wants to provide for them in another way. And here 
he's sending this letter, this treasure that we have studied for months and we've been blessed by. He penned that. He penned that. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he penned Holy Scripture. And he's sending that to them, but he wants to give them more. He's connected to them. He wants to give them more. He wants to share with them what's going on. He wants to Tychicus to tell them everything of what's happening. In the letter, there's very little contained in the way of personal correspondence. And so he does the next best thing. He sends someone that he trusts to convey those personal details about everything that's going on in his life. And then he says the we, what, what's going on in our lives. He knows they want more. And we are like this more than we probably realize, that we want more from one another. I, I know I would like to know each one of you more. We want to know each other well. Just think about what happens when we break from this formal portion of our Sunday morning gathering after the benediction. What happens next? Well, we spend time getting to know one another better. We interact with each other. We want to know what's happening. How did this go or that go? I was praying for you here. How's life going? We talk about the circumstances of life. We turn to the discovery of one another. So what do we learn from Paul's example here at the end of the letter? How can it be applied to our lives? Well, he was very purposeful to reveal more about himself, very purposeful to communicate what was needed. I think that's something we can learn. He probably wanted to be able to share more than he could ever write. So he sends someone that can share those details. He empowers Tychicus to be able to tell on his behalf what's going on. He doesn't want anything shrouded in secrecy. He wants it to be open. He wants it to be shared. He wants it to be prayed for. He empowered his son in the faith, Tychicus, to do all of this. And Tychicus was set loose, in a way, to share freely. I've thought about this much this past year, knowing that we haven't been able to be together as often as we'd like. There's been restrictions. And so what happens? Well, I want to know more about what's going on. But if I don't see someone, I don't get that feedback. I don't get a no. You know, there are other means for us to know one another, but those are challenged. I'm teleworking quite a bit right now, and it was very apparent to me this last week when I went into the office and when I was spending time sitting next to my coworker, how much more I discovered about his life just sharing a couple hours sitting next to him compared to working on the same project and yet separated by distance where I would take a phone call or an email. But just those, those sidebar conversations have revealed a great amount about this man that I work with. And I'm, I've been blessed by that. I'm grateful that I know more about him. I was able to share a sermon with him. And I look forward to dialoguing about that afterwards and the next time we meet. So Tychicus was... Was purpose, or Paul was purposeful to reveal more about himself through Tychicus. He empowered him to do this. So how do we 
as a church, give this kind of freedom to share what's going on in one another's lives. Especially where we might be inclined to hold back, where we might be inclined to keep something a little closer. How do we give this kind of freedom? How do we dialogue in such a way that we genuinely, genuinely seek to know one another? To carry one another's burdens, as it says in Galatians 6.2. We have to know each other well enough to know what was burdening each other. And then to go to the Lord in prayer for one another, as it says in James 5.16. I don't have great application for this, because I think it's going to be dependent upon on you, Christian. Where are you holding back and sharing? I think the application then is there. Wherever it is you are feeling like, I can't share this. Where that barrier is, that's where this application probably needs to find root. Where you feel like you're restricted in sharing, that's where you probably need to think about this. Tychicus was empowered by Paul to share everything. It's pretty remarkable that he knew him that well and that he was sending him to share such details. But not only was Paul purposeful to reveal, he was also purposeful to encourage. In verse 22, it reads, I have sent him, Tychicus, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. The reason we share with one another our life isn't just to exchange information. We don't compare circumstances with our brothers and sisters just to see how we go through them. I mean, that that would be, I guess, one thing we could do, but that's not the life of the church. We don't just compare, oh, I did this and you did that. Which one was better? Okay, I'll take this, this course of action and step off and go. There might be some validity to that, but we, we share with one another because, again, we, we want to learn how to encourage one another and where we're struggling. We need to receive encouragement. When we know one another well, that's how we can give and receive encouragement. If we don't know each other very well, then when we attempt to give encouragement, it might not land very well. It might not be received as encouragement because we don't know the other person well enough to encourage them the way they receive encouragement. And as we see in scriptures, encouragement takes different forms at different times. Sometimes encouragement is the building up of another, the building up of another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 talks about building up each other. But other times, encouragement is exhorting someone Exhorting them not to um, be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, such as in Hebrews 3.13. There's different ways we can encourage. But here, Paul was purposeful to encourage the Ephesian Christians, encourage them in the heart. He wanted to do that through the letter, like we talked about. But he also wanted to encourage them through the very real human presence of Tychicus who was flesh and blood. There's a great deal of encouragement that comes through 
actually interacting with one another face-to-face, arm-in-arm, side-by-side. Tychicus, in his own right, was a faithful minister of the gospel. And like Paul, I'm sure he was desirous to declare the truth of the gospel boldly. Our community groups are meant to be like this, to have that time with one another, that closeness, those bonds that are grown over time because we spend time together. And inevitably, what happens is we get to know each other. We get to know where, where, where we came from, you know, what built us up in the faith, what has encouraged us over time, where we currently need encouragement. They're meant to be places of encouragement. And sometimes when you're at community group, you're like Tychicus. You're sent there as an encourager. You need to be an encourager. But other times you go to a community group and you need to be encouraged. And both are okay. And it's going to flip-flop at times where you are the one giving encouragement. And other times you go and you're going to receive encouragement. Times when you need your heart encouraged. But once again, you have to be able to reveal where you are and receive well what is offered to you. The provision that that Paul had here in these verses was purposeful. He was purposeful to reveal and he was purposeful to encourage in verses 21 and 22. And I think this needs to be appreciated more fully by us as Christians as we go through the Christian life. The importance of being, living out the faith together and being open and honest with one another, with the truth of the gospel freely intermingling in these areas where we're hurting or where we're full of joy. The gospel needs to be present there, and grace needs to be shared. Our collective circumstances commingling with the gospel will be a source of encouragement for the world to see as we live out our faith before them, as we put it on display. And church, when we are put on display in this way, you know what people see? What they should see is peace. They should see peace. That's what we're going to look at at the very end here of verses 23 and 24 is peace. In verse 23, Paul writes, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was a prisoner, one who had been entrusted with the mystery of the gospel, and one who wants to declare it boldly. And this is how he closes his letter Peace be to the brothers. Peace be to the brothers. I want to ask two questions in light of our current cultural moment in the way of comparing Gospels. Remember, Gospel is news. We tend to use it in the church as the good news of Jesus Christ. But there are many Gospels. So here's question one. What has been the result of the protests of Antifa and Black Lives Matter? These groups have a Gospel message don't they? They have their gospel message. Now, separate from the Christian church's gospel message of Jesus Christ, but they're proclaiming what they think is good news. Do we see peace there? 
Here's another question. What about the incessant pursuit of safety and health? We've seen this, right? This is, there's this incessant pursuit of safety and health. This is a gospel narrative that's being parroted. Is it bringing about peace? Do we see peace there? Now, Paul, a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's in prison. He has chains on him. And he can close a letter to the saints in Ephesus with, Peace be to the brothers. And I fully believe he meant exactly that that they would have peace and that he had peace. That's remarkable. It's a contrast. Paul is a paragon of peace. He can claim peace, and he can claim peace upon the brothers. He can do that because he knows it's a gift given by God. Peace is a gift. So is faith and love. Peace is given. So is love. So is faith. And he pronounces that and says, be a recipient of what you've been given. Have the peace. So church, we are not to be easily deceived by false gospels. The result of embracing a false gospel is not peace. But the treasure of what God has given, what God has given in Christ, is peace. And it's peace that's been carried by saints throughout all the ages. Ever since it was first given, the saints have had peace. We know that through church history. We know it through our own experience. Church, there have been saints that have been fed to wild animals that have been beaten, looted, ravaged, crucified like our Savior, burned. And oftentimes, the testimony that we read about, that we see, is that they go there to those places of extreme persecution with peace. With peace. Because they embrace the mystery of the gospel that was boldly proclaimed to them. And they are willing to boldly proclaim it by giving their life for Christ. Freedom from sin and death will do that. Freedom from the clutches of Satan. Freedom from the clutches of Satan and his demons will bring about peace. Now, peace internally, that doesn't mean your circumstances will be peaceful. There's no promise of that. In fact, the more we stand up for the truth, the more often we are going to be attacked for upholding the truth. Attacked. But like the saints of old, I believe that as we come under attack, we will shine brightly. We'll have peace. We'll uphold the truth. And even as many persecutors throughout the age have done, they're going to witness that. And that's going to have an impact on them. The jailer, I think Seth mentioned that. Paul was able to witness 
to a jailer and bring his whole household to faith. But there's also going to be those who are enraged. Their hearts are hardened, and they are going to levy even more hate and discontent and vitriol upon the believer that walks faithfully with Christ. Christians, we are to shine with a radiant beauty. That beauty is peace. It verifies the gospel. Our peace verifies the gospel. And I know that it is had by those of us here in the church, by many. Likely not all, but by many. And how do I know? How do I know that this is what we have here in the church? Look at verse 24. It says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I know this to be true, that we have peace as believers. When I can read the closing verse in Ephesians, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And do you know what I see when I read that and I look at your faces? I see peace. I see joy. Because you believe it. You know that love incorruptible has been granted to you and that you know Christ, the author of love. It's changed you. You've been made a new creature in Christ. You are adorned with peace. It's lovely. We get to experience the joy of expressing our lives in Christ to one another. We get to be encouraged by one another in it. And then from there, we go out into the world and we share truth. Some of your Bibles, as it's recorded here, it might not be love incorruptible, but it's sincerity. That's another word that's used in the translation is sincerity or undying. But you get the picture, don't you? It doesn't change. It is genuine. When you have Christ, you have been changed. And when we possess this love, no matter how hot the furnace is that we might be thrown into, our love for Christ only burns brighter. It only shines brighter. And this is where we've been brought to at the end of this book of Ephesians. And it reflects a journey that we've been taking together as a church. It's a journey that, that Paul started out with. And in the very first part of the book, he writes, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends with these very similar words. Here at the end, brothers and sisters, the gifts given are, are love and grace and peace. Paul is saying, take these gifts and use them. Cherish them. And allow them to be manifest in you and for you to understand that you have love incorruptible. 
So how do we see this love incorruptible polished into a more brighter sheen? How do we see it? This brings us back to the question I asked earlier. Having received the mystery of the gospel, what are you to do with it? What do you do with the mystery of the gospel? It's been given to you, proclaimed to you by someone else, and you've received it. The answer is declare it boldly. Declare it boldly. We are to declare it boldly and let the circumstances be what they may. We are to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful as a church to know that you have done everything required for us to have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Lord, there are treasures that have been given to us. So often we overlook the value of those treasures. We are overshadowed by the circumstances of life, by the cares of this world. But when we take time to reflect upon love and faith and peace, Lord, we have nowhere else to turn but to to you, to, to turn our faces towards you and to thank you for what you've done and to say, give me what I need to proclaim this truth that has changed me. So, Lord, that is what we're asking now. In light of what we have learned from the book of Ephesians, these treasures that have been revealed, our faith, which we pray has been polished into a brighter sheen, would be used to go forth boldly, knowing that spiritual battle wages war around us. You have given us what we need to stand firm in the evil day. So, Lord, help us to stand firm in prayer and in truth and in love for you and for one another. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.